Lord, we come to you in this time and we give you thanks that you teach us through your word. And so we ask that you would help this passage, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, that would help us to understand the oneness we have in you, the oneness we have together, the support and the encouragement and the uplifting we have in this time through your word, Lord. May it challenge us, may it bless us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We have been seeing the importance of the church, the role the church has in God's plan. In regards to the church, Francis Chan offered these astute words. He said about the American church, over the years, the American church has become consumer-driven. Consumer we find ourselves preoccupied with the things that do not matter in place of the one who does matter, Jesus. The church should be solely concerned with whether or not we are talking about our love for him. We should have an obsessive love for Christ to the point that our focus is only on him. What God wants from his church is devoted worshipers, a generation of people who long for his presence wherever they are and whomever they are with. He desires people who, out of love for him, will love each other and be unified. It is through the intimacy and unity we have with God and each other that the world will know that Jesus is the Messiah. When we have intimacy with each other, the power of the Holy Spirit will manifest. We will find ourselves transformed into the people God wants us to be, going to the ends of the earth to be witnesses for him. God's desire for his church is that we would be obsessed only with him and nothing and no one else. This morning, as we continue in the secrets of living a better life, we are talking about how we have oneness together and how this oneness builds us up and enables us to be the people of God, the witness of God, to carry on the work of God, to touch the lives of the people around us, people whose lives are struggling right now. We as a church have an important role here. So let's go ahead and, and look at what Paul has to say to us and, and how we can apply his words to our situation, to our life in Christ. Well, in the first three chapters, Paul has dealt with the general and eternal truths of the Christian faith and how the church functions in the plan of God. God is the one who sanctifies, sets us apart as his people and his church, and sets us forth in his will to proclaim the mystery that so many don't understand, but so many need that in Christ we are one together in him. In chapter 4, we see how Paul begins to sketch what each member of the church must be if the church is to carry out this plan for God. He starts in Ephesians 4.1 saying, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We must understand that we in Christ are not just expected to believe and then have salvation and have forgiveness of our sins and, and that everything after that is okay. No, we are to believe in a way that we start to become transformed in our character, to have the character of Christ. A transformation that is visible to believers and non-believers alike. A life that is worthy to be called a Christ follower. A life that honors and glorifies his name. 
The Greek word for worthy is the word axios, and it has two meanings here that, that Paul gives that, that can really help us understand what Paul is trying to say to us. Now, the first is that of equal weight. And you can think of having a weight on one side, and then you put something on the other side of a scale, and you want the scale to be balanced. And so if this other object you put on the scale balances with this first object, then the second object is considered worthy. It is worthy because it is of the same weight. If it tilts, then it is not worthy. So in context of Ephesians 4.1, Paul is saying that as Christians, we learn God's truth, his doctrine. And this truth then not only is to be learned, but is to be practiced if we are to truly walk in a worthy way. Likewise, if we think that we live a good life, but we fail to expand on what we are learning, then again, we live an unworthy life. It is the, about balancing the truth of God that we learn with the practice of God in our lives to walk that worthy life. The second idea of becoming worthy, then, is about calling and the idea of matching. It is similar to a person adorning themselves with clothing and accessories that do or don't match. So going back to the idea of doctrine and practice, we expand it further here. You receive teaching like this sermon today or a Bible study or maybe a Bible verse or passage that you read, and then you are to put it into practice. But even more, it should lead you into the calling that God has for your life so that you match your works, the works that you do, with the calling that God gives you. When I first went to college, I was a computer programming major, but in the first semester I was in college, I was feeling that that was not right for me, the right path for me. I felt a calling to go into ministry, to be a minister. And it was important for me, as I learned this through Bible study and, and reading the Bible on my own, I was led to, to go that route. It was right for me to follow the word of God that was leading me into my calling. Yet this calling expands into how we live our everyday life. We have this, this general calling that God gives us as well. So, for example, in the midst of what's been going on, we've seen, we've seen the protests and the anger against the racism, and we've seen the looting, and we've seen the riots, and, and there's been some fear and confusion and, and questions like, what? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to receive all this? And there's so much going on in the social media, and I, and I was reminded of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and how he, in the midst of the civil unrest in the 60s, was able to use peaceful means to move forward a positive message. You might wonder for yourself, how can I make a difference in this time. Well, you can give God's peace to others. You can give God's love to others. You can start to have conversations with people about what they are feeling and why this is happening so you can understand it more. But the truth is that we need to make sure that we know God is with us in the presence of all that is going on. And that God can give us peace and God can give us love and then we pass that on to others. And so really the best thing we can do is just have influence in our own sphere, the people that are around us. And that's a good place to start. 
Dr. King said this. He said, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And then we hear from the Apostle Paul as he says in verses 2 to 3, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are called to be humble in the sense that we understand that without Christ, we are unable to walk in this calling and be worthy of the calling. Even more, we are unable to really receive from Christ and give away. We are then to be gentle. And this gentleness actually kind of has the idea of being angry at the things that should make you angry. There's things that are going on right now that should make us angry. But also learning how to not get angry at the right time or in the wrong way. So there's a balance of how we respond to what we're encountering. Thus, we must learn how to be patient with others and bear with others so that we can work together and give and, and love as God calls us to. In this way, we each fulfill our calling as we are doing the work of God. And we are doing it together with one effort. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see one effort, more unity in our world? So our first point is that for each of us to walk in the Lord in a worthy manner with the same effort that comes from our calling so that we can therefore see and experience God's presence even more. In the next section, in verses 4 to 6, we really see Paul giving us a creed, reminding us of the very important truth to which we need to understand and hold fast. It reminds us of the theological oneness that we share. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So we have this calling, and then from that we understand that it is part of the body of Christ. There is one body. We share this common existence together in Christ's church. All of us, a diversity of people, a diversity of ethnic groups in Christ are one. We have to see each other as one people, as one body. It is so important for us to have that connection. All of us who are in Christ are part of this one body. This can be true and can happen because there is one spirit. We share a common work together, a common connection together through the Spirit indwelling in us and the work of the Spirit working through us. The Spirit is one and the one that leads us to salvation. And then once we are saved and part of the body of Christ, in Christ, we create that unity together. This unity is what gives us one hope. We share this common hope in Christ. See, that's where our focus be. Is in Christ that unity happens, that oneness happens, that hope is found. Formerly, we were hopeless. Paul told us that back in Ephesians 2.12. But once we were called to Christ and accepted Christ, then, then we have this hope. Our hope comes in the calling received, the life that we respond to as we are called. And we live in this way, in the work that God calls us to do, to make the world a better place by bringing it together in oneness and doing the work of the kingdom of God in this world. 
touching one life at a time. Verse 5, Paul says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. See, there is one Lord. There is only one Lord. We confess Jesus as Lord. Back in the time of Jesus, there was Nero for the Romans, right? And when they would say, Jesus is Lord, they were basically saying, Nero is not our Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are stating that nothing and no one else will sit on the throne of our heart. Jesus alone will be our Lord. This is a declaration that we make as Christians. See, the one who is with us all the time, Jesus Christ, even in this time, this time of isolation, this time of curfew, this time of protest, this time of rioting, Jesus is with us, and we have that hope that all will be well and that God will not leave us nor forsake us. This leads us to Paul's statement that there is one faith. We embrace the essential truths of the Bible. Faith refers to the body of truth that we embrace. When we hold fast to this teaching, we understand that there is no other acceptable faiths except for the one found in the Scriptures that we are called to be followers of Christ. This is the truth. And there's other wonderful, great truths in the Bible that help us to understand what is real, what is right, what is important, how God fits into the midst of all things, how God is with us even in the most difficult of times. A community that lives together and supports one another comes out of all of this oneness. And then the section concludes with verse 6 where it says, One God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. We can be united in faith by baptism because God the Father extends his gracious presence to each of us. Although God by his power upholds and maintains and rules over all things, God spreads himself through each of the member, members of the body of Christ, the church, and he dwells in all. As Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. The presence of God is in all of life, as he is the creator in over all things. He works his power as he chooses and pleases according to his will. He has chosen to dwell in believers through the work of the Spirit so that we might truly know him and live in him and bring his presence into different situations and to the lives of those who need to know that God is with them. In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, whereas God becomes our Father. We are therefore truly one body when we believe in and subject ourselves to the one God, the Father who is over all and in all. As God was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in their most difficult time in the fiery furnace. As we feel like we're going through a fiery time right now, we can be assured that God is with us, helping us, working through our lives, making things right. The second lesson for today is that we are the body of Christ together because of the one Spirit, the one Lord, the one faith, and the one Father. In life, we receive many different kinds of gifts along the way, maybe for your birthday, for Christmas, coming up is Father's Day. But God gives us even more important gifts that we could ever get here 
on this earth. We receive these gifts when someone wants to give us a nice gift, right? But God gives us that gift. When we receive Jesus Christ, he promises us so many gifts. And in this passage, Paul reminds us of another gift that God gives to us. It is the gift of grace, he says in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now here, God is not talking about a saving grace. Here, God is talking about a ministry grace. It is a grace to serve and to build up the body. It is a grace that says you have a purpose. Even now, in this time, you have a purpose. It is God equipping us, uh, us so that we can carry out our calling better. Our possession of the gifts and abilities are a reflection of Christ's generosity to us. Christ is truly generous as he gave us the gift of salvation by his death, but now he gives us more gifts so that we can be fruitful for the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us to forget that we can still make a difference in the lives of others because of the giftedness he gives us. These gifts are a way in which we extend the ministry of Jesus on this earth, this way we live a worthy life. When you see gifts at work, you should appreciate that Jesus gave them to you and be thankful that you are able to use these gifts. When someone's gifts bless you, more than any other time, you should understand that this is the time when we say, thank you, God, for the way others bless me. Jesus is blessing you through those gifts of others. See, we need to keep this church strong. We need to keep the church relevant. We need to remind people that the church is here to support and to, to love and to share God's truth. We need to do that, and when we live out our lives and the way we've been called, and we share these giftedness that God has given to us with others, we make a bold statement about God in his presence, in his work. You might want to ask yourself, how can I exercise the gift that God has given me right now? And I encourage you to be creative in this time, and I believe that God will give you the wisdom to live it out. And then he goes on in verses 10 to 12 to talk about this a little bit more. He says, so Christ himself gave, the, gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now I'm going to talk about each of these for a moment. And as I do, I don't want you to, to get distracted by these terms, apostle, prophet, and so on. And you think, oh, that's not me because of the, of the title, right? I want you to think about the, the explanation of what I tell you it is and think, which one of those has God given to me? What kind of giftedness has God given to me to make sure that the body of Christ is at work in doing the work of God? And so, we look at each one, the five ministry styles that Paul talks about. Again, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or I would say shepherd, and teacher. So an apostle, in a general, general sense, is a sent one. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another and from one generation to another. They are faithful in this way. They're always thinking about the future, about bridging barriers, establishing and challenging the church to make sure that they are staying faithful. 
and they're developing leaders as well. Next, you have prophets who are foretellers more than they are future tellers. Prophets are called to apply God's word to God's people. They bring correction and challenge to the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They insist that the community obey what God has commanded. And then you have evangelists, those who are gifted in proclaiming the gospel. They are infectious communicators of the gospel message. They lead people to believe in Christ. They call for a personal response of God's redemption in Christ. And then you have shepherds who nurture and protect. They watch over God's flock. They are caregivers of the community. They make and develop disciples. Then you have, lastly, teachers who understand and explain. They are communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will, guiding others towards God's wisdom, and helping the community of faith remain faithful to Christ's word. These are the kinds of things that help the church to stay strong. And especially now that we're disconnected in this way, we need to make sure that we are still on top of this, keeping the church strong, keeping the message going out. And so our third point is that when we understand that we are equipped by Christ to contribute to the work of Christ, we make God's presence felt and known. I want you to think about a child for a moment And as a child grows, you see a child mature in physical ways like getting bigger and starting to eat more mature food and standing and walking and then learning how to talk and communicate. Then they learn how to play with other kids and they learn to know what is good and what is not good to do. And so you have these these physical marks of maturity but you also have the deeper ones right where they they are maturing in other ways that are not just physically seen well this is true of spiritual maturity as well see the physical marks of spiritual maturity is how we start going to church regularly or how we learn how to pray or how we learn how to and desire to learn to read the bible and apply it to our lives right But then it goes farther, right? We need to start putting that into practice. This is something that we need to make sure that we're doing, putting God's word into practice, right? That's how we start to show our spiritual maturity. So we keep our faith strong when we face trials. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. We see God in the midst of the struggles that we're going through. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. We trust that in all things, God will work out things for the good. That is a mark of spiritual maturity. And so Paul says in verse 14, then when we are spiritually mature, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So let me develop this a little bit more. Four areas of spiritual maturity that Paul really is saying to us here. First, it's Christ-likeness. Verse 13, we attain to the whole measure 
of the fullness of Christ. The goal here is to be like Jesus, to have his character qualities. Are you seeking to be like Jesus? Remember Jesus' perspective on the cross in the midst of the violence that he experienced, in the midst of all that they were saying and mocking him. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He offered forgiveness to the people in the midst of what they were doing. See, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. We start to become like Christ and we see our world through his perspective and not through our perspective, our struggle, our frustration. The second is doctrinal stability. Paul also speaks of maturity as growing in our knowledge of God's truth. When this happens, we won't go believing every teaching, every saying, everything that is around us, but we will search the scriptures for the truth and filter all teachings that come to us through the Bible so that we can know what is true and what is good, what is right, and how we should behave. The third area is truth joined with love. Paul says in verse 15 that we will speak the truth in love. The truth is always to be presented to others, but it should be presented in love. Christians are to be people who hold high the truth of God and proclaim it in love. So when we are seeing what's going on around us, we want to speak the truth in the midst of what we're experiencing, what's going on, the virus, the the protests, the curfew. We want to speak truth into that, but we want to speak it in love and and build people up in the love of God. And last is the area of contribution. Verse 16 tells us that we are each supposed to do our work. Each member of the church is considered a limb in the body of Christ. And so because you are a part of this body, you are important. I am important. We need each other. Every member supports one another. Every member needs to contribute using what you have. Even now, you want to ask God, what can I contribute now, God? How can I rise above my frustration? How can I rise above my fear? How can I contribute to your work in this time and seek God's wisdom coming to you. As we grow in Christ, as we use our gifts in love, the body becomes healthy and the church becomes seen more and more in the world. So the last point is that we are to hold to the teaching of Scripture as it leads us to mature as a Christ follower, as a church, which is to be like Christ contributing to the world. When I think of growing into maturity, I think of many things, but one thing that came to mind was my children and how I sent each of them off to college at a different time. And I remember it was so exciting for me to see them to start to make their faith their own. Up to that point, it kind of been the faith of mine and Tammy's. But it, their faith became their own. The desire to read the Bible, to go to Bible study, to go to church became their own. And I saw this growth and maturity that they wanted to be on their own, a Christ follower. And I'm sure you see that in your children as well. You see, what we need to remember is that we need to do this on a daily basis. We need to look at what is spiritual maturity and how can I mature a little bit more in Christ each day. 
No matter the context, no matter the challenge, no matter the confusion that is engulfing us, it is always good to turn our attention back to Jesus. The first part of Ephesians chapter 4 does this. As we see how we are to live in the oneness in Christ, in our calling as his body, being equipped for ministry through his teaching, it all leads us to spiritual maturity. A maturity that shares the love of Christ to those around us. And this is so needed in our difficult time right now. Though we can't actually walk behind Jesus as his disciples did, we can heed his call. We can listen to his teachings. We can begin to believe what he teaches us and, and live out what he teaches us. We can begin to take on the character of Christ. We can pray as he has taught us to pray. We can join in his kingdom-centered mission. We can become the church that God wants us to be, a church that shines the light of Christ into the darkness of our world. May we seek to do this today and every day. Let us pray.